So I want you all to notice who's not preaching this morning wearing his crazy suit. <laughs> I, uh, I, I really, I told him beforehand, I kind of feel like this is a career move. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I feel like every interview from here on out would start with, and you preached in what? Uh, I've worn, I've worn, I'm a youth pastor, so I've worn lots of crazy things uh, in, in my time in ministry, but I think this tops everything else. Oh. Uh, well, this morning we are, uh, we are continuing our, our series, call, uh, series called Vintage Christmas, uh, and uh, each week so far uh, we've shown you a, a vintage collection, uh, and uh, I actually forgot to show this in first service. I got going and then all of a sudden looked down and it's like, oh, those are there still, and it's too late to show those. So, uh, but this morning uh, I have a collection of Hot Wheels. And you can't probably see them at all from where you're at, uh, but we've got, we've got some pretty neat looking cars here. And then uh, uh, we also have these over here. Uh, this person has a collection of over 300 Hot Wheel Corvettes. Um, anybody know who this is? Paul Frucci, that's right. So Paul has got his collection of Hot Wheels. I have, to, I have to say, I had Hot Wheels growing up. None of them stayed in the package long enough to even get home. So kudos to you, Paul, for keeping them in the package long enough for them to be uh, worth something. And actually, that's uh, it's a, it's a pretty neat collection. And, you know, that's something that they'll be able to hand down and it'll be, be pretty cool. But we, we've been talking about the fact that vintage doesn't just mean old, right? And that's, that's kind of what what we think of when we first think of vintage, but actually vintage really means timeless or classic quality or, or, or choice. And when we read the, the story about Jesus at the wedding and turning the water into wine, uh, they, they come to, the, they come to the, uh, the person in charge and say, well, why, why have you waited till the very end of the wedding to serve your best wine, your choice wine or your vintage wine? Why, why didn't you serve this at the beginning? Now all your guests are They've had too much to drink. They don't even remember it. Um, and, and Jesus had done that. He had taken that water, turned it into the very best vintage wine. Uh, and, and that's really what we're talking about here when we, talk, when we use the word vintage. Uh, and uh, there's really no new way to present the Christmas story to you. We've, we've said this as well, that uh, you've, if you've grown up in the church at all, you've heard this story year in and year out. However, however many years old you are, that's probably how many times at least you've heard the Christmas story preached or talked about. Uh, so it's, it's kind of difficult from a, from a pastor's perspective to try to open this up and present this to you in, in a way that, that you have not already heard. And so we decided this uh, Christmas season to just look at this Christmas story and the vintage truths, the classic timeless truths that, that present themselves within the story. Uh, week one, Pastor Chip shared with us uh, that the vintage truth of Christmas, one of them was redemption. And that redemption is at the heart of Christmas. We talked about Ruth and the fact that Ruth uh, was a part of Jesus' line, his lineage. And Ruth wasn't the only one in Jesus' lineage that actually sh probably, when you're talking about a king and you're wanting, if, you, if you're Jesus' PR person, you're not putting their name in your lineage. You're going to keep that one, you're going to omit that one uh, because uh, she was a foreigner. All right, there's, other, there's a prostitute in there, and there's other, there's other people in that lineage that you would not want presented. But Jesus has that in there because he wants, he wants everybody to see that 
doesn't really matter who you are. Jesus is there to redeem you. And it doesn't matter where you come from. Um, it doesn't matter, uh, I think as Pastor Chip put it that week, who your daddy was. Uh, it, Jesus is there to redeem you. And then last week, Pastor Chip shared with us that trust and obedience are always God's way. Uh, we looked at the characters of Mary and Joseph and the fact that they were visited by angels and given instructions and instructions to do very hard things. Joseph was to take someone on as his wife who was already pregnant and not by him. And that would have been a very difficult thing to do in that society. And Mary had to walk around with the scorn and shame uh, that comes with being pregnant out of marriage. And uh, then at the very end uh, of her pregnancy, she's required to take a trip to Bethlehem and ride on a donkey. And uh, Pastor Chip shared with us that that's not found or suggested by any doctor in any, um, in any uh, what to expect when you're expecting book you can find. Um, and, and, and we learn that it took trust and obedience on the part of Mary and Joseph uh, to, to bring about the end result, the Christmas story. And uh, today, today we're going to look at another vintage truth. And to help kind of set the table for that, uh, I'm going to tell you uh, about something I witnessed while I was in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. And Gabby and I were in Broken Arrow for Oklahoma for four years. And there was a company there called Exterion. And Exterion made very large objects for um, power plants and, and, and different things. And those large objects uh, obviously had to be shipped to wherever they went. And um, this, uh, this one particular time while we were there in Broken Arrow, they were hauling a 186-foot demethanizer uh, from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma to Fort Lupton, Colorado. This was the largest um, oversized load in the history of Oklahoma. Uh, I have actually, we got a picture of it because it actually went by uh, this intersection, which is just down the street from where our house was. Now that doesn't give it justice because uh, that just makes it look like a drainage pipe. Um, but I've got a video and, and uh, we're going to show it here. Yeah, this is, this is actually what it, was, what it was like and you kind of get the idea. This uh, whole rig is over 427 foot long. It's pulled by two trucks in the front, two trucks in the back, weighed over 1.1 million pounds. It took 44 weeks to make and over 100 employees to do it. And the trip from Oklahoma to Colorado took two weeks to complete. Uh, some of you, this doesn't like do anything for you. Some of you probably watched that show on the History Channel, the uh, shipping wars or whatever. They, get, they have to bring all this stuff to certain places and use trucks and or the, even do it across the ice roads and all that kind of stuff. Um, this, uh, the, the reason I'm showing this to you is because, uh, as you can see at the very end of that, that video, there were people standing there watching. And I kid you not, the night before they moved this thing, it was, a, it was a Friday night going into a Saturday morning, the night before they moved this thing, you drove through the intersections and the path that this thing was going to take, and it was like the, uh, the fair parade. It goes on, people had lined the street with chairs to watch this go down. And um, I mean, and the, the guy that was in charge of um, PR for Northwest Logistics said, there was definitely a lot uh, more viewers today than we normally see wherever we are moving something. Uh, we're proud of our company and our employees. Uh, people just, uh, it's human nature for, for humans to show up to see the extraordinary. 
Uh, we see this all the time. We see it in game, big games. We see it in, in, in big fights. We see it when there's uh, a wreck on the highway. Uh, in grow, uh, not growing up in Oklahoma, but spending time in Oklahoma. People, as long as the tornado wasn't dropping directly on top of you, would jump in their car and they would go and find the tornado just because they wanted to see it. And there's just this, this niche for us to go and to see things that are different, that are cool, that are big, that are whatever, whatever the, the draw is, we want to go see the extraordinary. And uh, this morning we see this happening in the Christmas story as well. And uh, this morning we're going to consider two, two groups, uh, two, two casts of characters within the Christmas story that, uh, that this, is, this is true for, for them as well. And we're going to meet the first one right now. You're right. You're right. Well, we know. I'm not trying to nitpick. 
but you said cannot and not, and that's a double negative. <laughs> Promise me, even with the Messiah, you cannot not talk like that. Promise me you won't talk like that to the Messiah. Shepherds are the group of people that first get to be told that Jesus is born. And uh, we're going to take a look at, at how they're told and where they're told uh, in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. starts out this way, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. This, this opening verse uh, reveals some things to us. First off, the men that we're talking about are indeed shepherds. This is important because they are considered the lowest of the low of the low of society. They are considered uneducated. They have very little skills to offer. Uh, pretty much a mere child could do what shepherds do. Um, now, when you look back through the history of Israel, many, many important figures in the history of Israel were shepherds. Um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all shepherds at some point in time in their life. Moses uh, was found as a shepherd on the backside of the desert by God. Um, to, to be commissioned into his service. And then King David uh, was also a shepherd, and he was pulled in out of the field by Samuel to be anointed to become the next king of Israel. Uh, but times have changed uh, since all those, all those important uh, historic figures, uh, since they were shepherds out in their own fields. Uh, society has become less nomadic and more structured that people have moved into towns and cities, and they didn't trust you if you were a nomad and just wandering around. Um, because they were shepherds, their, um, their testimony was not even valid in their court system. And uh, they were looked down upon by just about everyone. And uh, the other thing we find out is they're living out in their fields. This means that on the calendar, uh, it's between April and November, because that's when uh, shepherds lived out in the fields with their sheep. Uh, the, the, country, or the, the nation of Israel is located in a place that has a very similar uh, weather pattern to California. And so that's when they could be out uh, in their fields and not, um, not just encounter, encounter brutal temperatures uh, or, or different things. So they were living out there, but the fact that they were living out there also means a few other things for them. First off, most likely they're really dirty and gross. Secondly, uh, they, uh, they're not able to fulfill all of their commitments to the temple. Uh, they're not able to make uh, the, the necessary sacrifices. They're not able to come in uh, for, uh, for meetings and prayer and, and different things. They are, they are failing to fulfill the Mosaic Law uh, as shepherds. They are not able to keep the Sabbath because they have to work on the Sabbath. They have to keep, make sure that their sheep are taken care of. The sheep just can't take a day off. They've got to eat. They've got to drink. Um, so they, they, they have to be out in the fields with their sheep. And they were looked down upon because of that. 
the, uh, the, the verse here also shares with us that the fields were nearby. All right, and this is significant. And, and one of the theologians that I was reading this week talked about, um, it's not known for sure. It's a very possibility that this wasn't the case, but it, it's a possibility that it was. The very fields that these shepherds who receive this awesome news this night were, were in could very well have been the same field that a little boy named David was found in by Samuel to be anointed as the king of Israel. Uh, and so making those connections with this story uh, make it all the more interesting. And then uh, the, finally they, they had their flocks were, were out in the field with them, which, which makes sense, or they actually probably would be crazy if they didn't have sheep out there with them. Uh, but the sheep are significant because um, more than likely because of the time of year that it was, because of their location to Jerusalem, uh, the sheep that they were watching most likely were going to be used as sacrifices on the Passover. And so this group of, of shepherds out in the field that are hearing about the coming of the great shepherd and the ultimate sacrifice were probably watching sheep that, uh, that Jesus would one day take the place of. Verse 9 continues, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Uh, verse 9 is also a pretty weighty verse when you start to look at some of the significance of it. An angel appeared to them. An angel had not been seen, according to biblical record at this point, for over 500 years. We read the Bible, and we read about angels appearing and talking to people, and we have to think, well, maybe this is just a common occurrence. Uh, but an angel appearing to the lowest of the low, out in the middle of a dark field, in the middle of nowhere, seemingly the, at the time, in the middle of the time of nowhere, had to, uh, had to be somewhat significant. But even more significant than that was the fact that the glory of the Lord shone around them. Uh, when uh, I preached during our IM series that we did uh, a, a few months ago, uh, I talked, uh, the week that I got to speak, I talked about the fact that Jesus is the light of the world. And uh, we talked about the fact that that light was the way that God manifested his presence on earth. Um, when, when Moses led the people out of Israel, God led them by a pillar of fire and a cloud. And when Moses was meeting with God up on the mountaintop, uh, he wanted to see God. And God told him, no, you can't see me because if you saw me in my full uh, glory, the, the, the full amount of light that, I, that my presence manifests, you would die. Uh, and so he's just allowed to see the very little back, like glowing part as, as God passed by. And his face... Um, just glowed from it. And so this is, this is this, this light, this manifestation of God. And we find out that after the Israelites fail and fall and fail and fall and, and go throughout their, their entire history, Ezekiel sees the presence of God go up from the temple and leave the nation of Israel. And it's not been back since until this night in a dark field with lowly shepherds who don't matter, uh, announcing something great. So, and, and, and then it, that, that verse ends by telling us that, understandably, the, the shepherds were terrified. Um, I, have to, I have to imagine that it's not just the fact that the angel is there, but the light itself. I don't know if you've ever been to just a really dark place and all of a sudden the bright lights just kick on and you're kind of just... I don't know, it takes you a while to adjust and to figure out what's going on. Um, if you've ever watched the movie, the, uh, or you ever watched the movie Christmas Vacation, when Clark Griswold finally gets the lights to come on on the house, and the neighbors next door, like, trip over, fall over everything, and fall down the steps, and, like, 
that I have to imagine the angels are having a very similar moment out in the middle of the field. But we're told right away that it's okay. Verse 10 tells us this, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find him wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared in the angel, uh, with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those to whom his favor rests. So the, the angel right away tells the shepherds, don't be afraid. You've got nothing to fear. And as, as we look at the other characters in uh, this story as well, this happens to them too. The angel shows up. There's fear and trembling. There's comfort. A message is delivered, and then they, they point to a sign. There's going to be a sign. And uh, the same thing happens to the shepherds. Um, and, and it would be very easy for us to, you know, to just say, oh, you know, calm down. Um, but uh, the, the shepherds are definitely afraid. But as we, we hear that, that phrase from the angel, uh, do not be afraid, from starting in, in Genesis, and, Genesis and going all the way through Revelation chapter 1, uh, we see that phrase mentioned by angels uh, a lot. And uh, the one thing we find out every time an angel appears and says, don't be afraid, grace always follows. And so you've got these men who, uh, who, who understand who God is and knows who God is, uh, but they haven't been able to follow the law like they should. They're not as clean as they should. They haven't been able to offer sacrifices maybe like they should. And all of a sudden, the manifestation, uh, the light presence of God shows up and the shepherd has to think, this is it. I'm not clean enough to be in the presence of God, and by law, I should, I should be killed on the spot. But the angel shows up and says, don't be afraid. Grace is given in that moment to the shepherds. Uh, then, uh, following that, the angel makes a, a proclamation. There's going to be good news that is going to be great joy for all the people. And I was trying to think of, uh, of a picture or an illustration to kind of show you what exactly is meant when the angel says, great joy. And uh, the one thing I could think of, uh, I don't know if, if any of you have seen these on either Facebook or YouTube, but there's, they're coming up with these creative ways for deployed troops to come home and surprise their families. And one of the ways that I've seen this done, a dad whose son was a senior in high school, was on the football team, uh, playing his last uh, home game in front of in front of their uh, their their home field on, in front of their fans. Um, Dad was deployed overseas, so he wasn't going to make it. However, little did he know that the team was going to make him captain that week, and he was going to go out and do the coin toss and um, was going to be involved in the stuff at midfield pregame. And the uh, I, I'm not sure who arranged it or how he got there, but the father was brought back. He was put in the opposing team's uniform and gear and, and, and helmet, and he walked out as their captain. And they did everything, and, and then all of a sudden the dad pulls the helmet off, and the son just loses it. And they hug and embrace. It's kind of, I think, announced over the speakers what's going on at midfield, and everybody starts clapping, and, and it's just this awesome picture. Uh, uh, you've, got this, you've got this boy who who is going through all the emotions of, you know, kind of understanding that his dad's away at war, but his dad's also not there at home with him. And then all of a sudden, all that's taken care of and remedied. And God, in this moment, has been silent 
for 400 years. And all of a sudden, an angel appears, not to the chief priests, not to the temple leaders, not to the most important of people, but he shows up to the shepherds out in the field. And he, te- and he tells them that there's a Savior that's been born not to the important people, not to the people that matter, but born to you this day in the city of David. That's great news. And man, it's so easy for us to hear that story, to hear this story over and over and over, and this, the joy, the good news that's shared during this time just kind of gets glossed over. It loses its muster. It, 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 doesn't, uh, it doesn't appeal to us maybe the way that it should. This news is great joy for all the people. God has come back into the world, and he's come back to save each and every one of us. The word joy that's used there uh, in Greek literally means hilarity or laughter. Um, And uh, during this Christmas season, um, I think all of us could use hilarity and laughter, but for the greatest of reasons, that God's come into the world. Uh, the, the, the final thing I'd point out to you about this whole entire passage is the, is the, uh, the end of the angel's message. Um, verse 14, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. This entire interaction with the shepherds kind of throws it in the face of all the, the power establishments that are around in, in, in this day. Um, first off, they came and told shepherds, which they didn't go to the, the, the palace or the temple courts to make this announcement. They didn't tell the chief priests. They didn't tell Herod. They came and told shepherds. And then they used this, this verse, this phrase um, about, uh, about glory and, and about um, peace on earth. And this, this was the exact phrase that uh, messengers would use to proclaim in the in the Roman um, in the Roman um, just nation when when a, when a person was born that could become an emperor, they would announce it and they would they would declare peace on earth because of this great event, this birth. And so you've got the angel uh, coming down and saying this very phrase, talking about this Messiah that is born, this Savior. And it's not just the Savior of Rome, but it's the Savior of the world. Continuing on in verse 15, when the angels had left and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had to say. All of a sudden, the shepherds are the important people. The shepherds are the ones that are carrying the good news. And uh, I I said earlier that that we're going to pay attention to another group of people, another part of the story, and uh, I, I think it's time for us to meet them as well. position 
and watch it and wait and see what the star is trying to tell us. I read one time of a star that would announce a new king. And then one day, there was a beacon in the night, a star in the night, unlike any other star I've ever seen before. And so, We get a different vibe from the wise men. Uh, first off, we obviously find out they're wealthy. They're not in the same situation as the shepherds. We find out that um, they don't have the same information. Um, most likely, they were from Babylon. Uh, when, you, when you kind of look at um, just the, the, the different historical, uh, the clues of the day of where they might have come from, probably from Babylon. They're probably in an area where um, Jewish people went during the exile. And uh, the, the information, the, the prophecies that were shared with them uh, during, that, during the, the Jewish people's time there was something that they carried with them and they began looking and waiting and watching for the, the, the star that would lead them to uh, the baby, the new king. And... Um, they had to travel over 900 miles. The trip took over two years for them to get there. Shepherds traveled about a mile inside of town from the fields outside of town. Their journey was quite different. And we attribute uh, the, the number three to the number of gifts that they brought with them. And we think that there were three wise men because there were three gifts. But there were most likely many, many more that would have made the journey with them. But we also find out that they're different because when they come to see Jesus, they go not to Bethlehem, but they go to where they think the king of the Jews should be. 
should be found in the royal city, should be found in Jerusalem, should be found in connection with the temple, should be found in connection with uh, the palace, uh, the Roman government. There should have been an announcement made. And so they're coming expecting this. And what they, what they find is quite different. Uh, I, I wish I could just go through uh, the uh, Matthew chapter 2 with you like I just did with the shepherds, but we don't have the time this morning. Um, but uh, there's one thing we find out when we hold up the, the wise men and the shepherds together. The Christmas story warrants a response. And that response is simply to come to Jesus. Doesn't matter if you are the lowest of the low. It doesn't matter if you are dirty and unclean. It doesn't matter if you're not prepared. It doesn't matter if you've got it all and you're considered on the top of the world and you've got wealth and you've got power and you've got status. The birth of Jesus, the coming of God into the world warrants a response from us, and that response is simply to come. Even, even Herod in his scheming uh, understands that the correct response to, to welcome a new king into the world is to go into worship. He uses it for an evil and deceitful way, but he understands that that's what should happen. And so this, this morning, I, I, don't know, I don't know where you are this Christmas season. I don't know what, um, what you've been experiencing lately. I, I, I don't know if you're as close to God as you've ever been or you've drifted as far away as you've ever been. But I do know this. The Christmas story asks us to come to worship, just to spend time in Jesus' presence. If you notice with the wise men at the very end of their, of their part of the story, um, God warns them in a dream not to go back to Herod. Men who, uh, as far as we know, have not had any, re- any interaction or relationship with God one, one bit whatsoever. And all of a sudden, because they spent time with, with Jesus, God's showing up in their dreams, and they're listening, and they're obeying, and they're they're, they're participating with God. And that's all it takes. It all, all it takes is to come to Jesus. If, you're, if you feel like, man, this morning I am, I am far away. This morning I, um, I've allowed myself to, to not be in contact with God on a, on a regular basis. I've, I've stopped my prayer life. I've stopped my, my devotional life. I haven't been in the Word lately. I, if that's you this morning, guess what? Nothing else is needed except for you just to come back to Jesus. That's, that's part of the good news that, that's shared during this holiday season. There's great joy that can be found. And we sit and, and we're miserable because we think we've done, too, we've done too little or we've gone too far away or we don't deserve it. And we'll sit in misery while great joy is just waiting for us. It's human nature to want to see the extraordinary. And each Christmas we're reminded that the extraordinary is right near to us. And all we have to do is to come. This morning I'll end with just a, a quick reminder. We, Pastor Chip has mentioned this each week. and uh, We celebrate the season of Advent um, 
because we're, we're, not just looking, we're not just looking back upon the coming of Jesus into the world, but we're actually looking forward to his coming again. And uh, I think we'll find ourselves in a very similar situation as the shepherds were that night when Jesus does return. And his glory is going to be manifested all around us. And, and things are going to change. And, and great joy is going to be shared to all the people. And Jesus had to come as a little boy and as a, as a baby is in, in, a, in a, the most humbling of beginnings to share with us that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you find yourself this morning. Good news of great joy is for all the people. And all we simply have to do is come. And it will be the same that day as well. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for uh, just this time of worship that we've had today. Dear God, I, I pray that uh, you would help us to remember uh, this Christmas season. That's all that's required of us is simply to come. Dear God, maybe this morning we, we find ourselves far away from you. And uh, dear God, we're wondering how in the world do we get back? How do we, uh, how do we find ourselves um, back in your presence again after we failed so many times? And as you told the shepherds, simply, simply go. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It does all the, all the things, all the, the social things that are around us, all the people that are around us that maybe tell us we don't matter. It, we matter to you, and, and, and you just invite us to come. Maybe this morning, things couldn't be better for us. Maybe we came in this morning, and, and uh, life is going well. Relationships are going well. We're on top of the world. Yet the invitation is still there. Come to Jesus. Dear God, this morning, I pray that that, that would be uh, what's on all of our hearts and our minds this Christmas season. Help us not to get distracted by the things that are going on around us. Help us to focus on you and help us to come and worship at your feet. Dear God, be with us as we go from this place today. It's your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. You are dismissed.